1988, Ed Rosado transferred from a job with the National Park Service's regional office in Philadelphia to Gateway National Recreation Area in New York City. His seven years at Gateway helped him recognize the unique role that urban parks play in the national park system and in people's everyday lives. In 2012, Ed shared his story with Allison Steiner in conjunction with the Association of National Park Rangers Oral History Project. I'm historian Luann Jones, and you're listening to the Park History Program's Centennial Voices. Ed spent his last night in the regional office. I was filling up boxes. So I was moving 28 crates of references and books that I'd accumulated in files of my own from there to my next job. And I'm doing this at like 10 o'clock at night, and this fellow comes through and said, gee, what are you doing? So I'm packing for my next job. He said, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to Gateway. And he says, oh, I used to work at Gateway. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So we talked about it a little bit. He says, you know, there's the right way, the wrong way, and there's the Gateway. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, you'll find out. While at Gateway, Ed came to understand that urban parks are critical to the Park Service's mission. And Gateway was a unique experience. He was trying to do park service stuff for people in a big urban area who were never going to see the park service any other way. I mean, there's people in New York who never leave the city, who never drive. And sometime in that experience, I was at lunch with a guy named Bob Barbie. Barbie was a legendary superintendent at Yellowstone National Park. And I said, well, you've got this great job. What a terrific job. I would love to have your job. He says, you know, you're really doing a more important job in some ways. Because, and I had learned this when I was at Yellowstone. I don't know if it's still true. The average visitor to Yellowstone had to travel more than 800 miles to get there, which meant lots and lots of people were never going to get there. It was too far and too expensive. And so they weren't going to see the, you know, the, the mother park or the premier sites we all know about. And his point was, they had to see the green grain in New York City. Because then, when their congressman came home for a town hall meeting and said, do we need more jails, do we need more highways, do we need to build a sewer plant, somebody might put up their hand and go, the Park Service has taught my eighth grader environmental science. The only time we've camped out was a gateway. In a small way, they would see the Park Service there. We went through a big development program there. We renovated the marina. We built new bathhouses. We built new concessions, um, uh, a horse stable for the park police. They loved us. It was a, um, we had a mounted horse patrol. We did a lot of concerts and activities there. So we, we had our fun there. We, we, we hopefully exposed people to the park service. And again, this was people who have never had a chance to go. You know, they, they haven't been to Rocky Mountain yet. They haven't been to the Two Ocean Plateau in Yellowstone. They haven't been to Kings Canyon. They're, they're, they're still getting those values and exposure, so. There is the gateway, but it's not a bad way. We need to educate as many people as we can about the lessons the Park Service holds, the resources you know we hold in trust for them, the lessons will be there to teach their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I think the Park Service has a vital role, and I think the urban parks are included in that, because they're gonna reach lots and lots of people who are never going to get to the other places. And then when you look at how the balance is in Congress, we need people valuing us, understanding us, 
supporting us from every place. They can't be just rich white kids who went to prep school and had the summer to travel out west. It's got to be kids from the city and kids from poor families. An urban park like Gateway affected local people in ways that Ed could not have predicted before he arrived. Most of the urban parks don't have entry fees. But if you're having a hard time with food and you're living off McDonald's and a park is $20 a day to get into, then you wouldn't go. But you can go to Gateway and you can remember that they took you in at night when it was too hot and uncomfortable to go home. Reese Park is a big ocean beach that the Park Service runs down there. When it was very hot, a lot of people would come down out of what we, we would call tenements. The upper part of the city had old, old, nasty housing that typically didn't have any air conditioning. And you're living in little boxes, and they'd come down to the park um, for, for the day, you know, normally closing at sunset, but we let them stay. We put a few extra ranges on, and they'd bring their their blankets and their picnic gear, and they kind of roll up in their blankets, and we let them sleep on the beach because it was so much better than forcing them back up into their, their probably what you'd call slums. I mean, people would die in those places. I don't mean everybody, but older people who were under stress, no air conditioning, maybe nobody watching them. You know, it was, it was shelter. And those people got to come to the parks, got the experiences. It was a hot day, don't worry. The park's not open. Everything will be fine. Rangers are here to watch you. Thanks for listening. For Centennial Voices, this is Luann Jones, audio production courtesy of Alicia Rogers, an intern with the National Park Service.